Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family, planning churches together. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. What's up, everyone? I am here with Brad Briscoe for another edition of We Are Sin Network during the coronavirus. You know, Brad, what's up? How is everything going? Hey, I'm doing great. Dahadi, good to see you. Good to see you. Brad Briscoe is one of our missionaries extraordinaire. You are a man that I look to, I am appreciative of, and especially, you know, as we are a missionary organization, you know, sending, send network, church planting, looking into kind of the future. And so, Brad, I want you to bring out your crystal ball for us and, you know, talk about this idea of the future of the church because, you know, COVID-19 is really rattling the church in a, in a major way. You know, and the reality is I was just on with Ed Stetzer and Ed basically talked about he used to be a competitive chess player. And in, you know, in competitive chess, one of the primary goals is to mobilize the your queen, you know, but also to immobilize the queen, you know, for your competitor. And one of the things that he mentioned is that was interesting was, is that right now, if you're, when your queen is immobilized, it is, you know, very difficult for people to, to play. And for many people in church world, the queen piece is our Sunday gathering. We are no longer able to gather, you know, on Sundays right, currently right now. And if the things are true, it just came out um, yesterday that the, pred the predictions for the U.S. is low in 100,000 deaths to 240,000 deaths in the U.S. alone. Then that is the reality that we may or may not be able to gather on Sundays for a while, but I would like to just spend some time talking to you today. I'm just, what does this look like for us? You know, what are some things for us to think about as it relates to the church in the future? Like, what are, what are some things, I know you're probably getting that question, what are some things that you're telling um, pastors, planners, you know, practitioners, missionaries, of things that need to think about concerning the church? Yeah, Dottie, I think that's a great question. First off, I love Ed's metaphor. Uh, I hadn't heard that before. I love that because if, if it is about taking away the queen, which is our, for a lot of churches in North America, it's a sunny gathering, then what? this is the perfect time then to be thinking about what does it look like? What do we need to be thinking about and doing today where hopefully someday the, the queen returns and then we're in a better position? So you know, really over the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations every single day with two or three leaders, either church planters or their pastors from existing churches that, uh, you know, they just want to be processing and thinking about uh, what, what do we need to be doing and thinking differently today. So really in the midst of all those conversations, I've kind of boiled a lot of it down to, to four words or phrases. So let me just share what those are and then we can come back and, and just hit on each of them very briefly. Uh, the first one is just the word simplification. Uh, I just think we're going to have to identify what's essential and non-essential. Uh, the second one is uh, decentralization. In other words, I think we're going to have to, we're, right now we're very centralized. I think we're going to have to become more and more decentralized as a church in North America. The third one is repurposing. I think we're going to have to repurpose our buildings, and there's a lot of implications to that. And then the last one is just bivocational and co-vocational leadership. I just think out of necessity, we're going to see an enormous rise of bivocational and co-vocational leaders. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's really helpful to even think about those. I'm, I definitely want to unpack those because when you, when we think about the new normal, that's really what we have to look at. Like there is going to be like, we're not going back to normal. That right. We're not going back to normal. So this is a new normal because now you have to deal with other people's fear of gathering. You got all these different realities that are coming into that. And so when you think about, again, what I got, you, what you said was simplification, decentralization, repurposing, and bivocal. Kobo about it. Let's think about this idea of simplification. That when you when you think about simplifying or simplifying the church, what what do you mean by that? Well, I just think because the resources just aren't going to be there. I mean, the, the primary mechanism for giving for most churches in North America has been the Sunday morning gathering. So uh, every leader but one that I've talked to, uh, the the ties and gathering gathering or ties and offerings have been going down because the gathering is no longer there. But then also, I think, because there are so many people in our churches that have lost their jobs and are unemployed, of course, giving is going to take a big hit there. So I think the very first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to identify what is essential and non-essential as it relates to the programs and activities of the church. So um, I think it's fair to say a, a lot of the things that we do as a church in North America are kind of what I might call value adds for the people in the church. But I think we're going to have to really get super clear on what stays and what goes. And for me, the kind of organizing principle would be mission. I would just say, if, if there's something we're doing as a church that we cannot connect to God's redemptive purposes, then it probably needs to go. In a sense, it's not essential. So I just think we're going to have to start looking at every program and activity of the church and identify what's essential and what's not essential. And in, the, and in that way, we're going to have to simplify what it is that we do because we're just not going to have funds to do everything. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it's really important for us, for believers to hear that message, um, kind of rallying around mission. Because, you know, in this time in COVID-19, like the reality is, is that oftentimes people are just trying to go into survival mode, right? right? But like, we can't lose our identity as believers in Christ. And God has called us that we are, we are missionaries. We are, have been sent, you know, and so as we continue to be the sent people of God, what does it look like for us to um, simplify but remain and to maintain our sentness, you know, as we are going forward? No, I, think that's, I think that's spot on. Yeah, that's really good. And that, that what you just said, Dahadi, connects to the second one then about uh, becoming less centralized and more decentralized because of the decentralization piece is the sentness piece. So, uh, man, this is a huge conversation, I think. And, and really, this could be a topic, a topic just for one particular podcast. But I just think, um, you know, one of the things that COVID-19 has revealed to us is, is that we have a very, I would call a Sunday-centric or a very centralized ecclesiology. So I've talked to lots of pastors that have said, look, I knew our Sunday gathering was, was you know, a big deal, and we, we connected a lot of things to it, but they said, I, had, I, I really didn't realize just what a big deal it was. I mean, how I'd really put all of my eggs in that basket, and everything else we did was connected to the Sunday gathering. So I'm convinced as a result of COVID-19, we are going to see more and more networks, kind of decentralized networks, and I don't care what language you use, if they're house churches or small groups or missional communities or micro churches but we're gonna see more decentralized networks like the Tampa Underground, Francis Chan's deal, uh, We Are the Church out in the Bay Area. There's a, a big, big network of house churches in the Houston area called the Church Project. We're just gonna see more and more of those. So the reason I think this is a really big conversation is I think one of the reasons we're so centralized is this relates to another conversation that we've had before around APEST. So 
if our listeners aren't familiar with APEST, it's just the, the APEST or Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher from Ephesians 4. I just for think those, for those that are that are minority churches, it's just a five-fold ministry. But go yeah, ahead. Okay. That's, 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 good. that's good. Well, again, this is a huge conversation, but I think it's fair to say that the church in North America, for the most part, has been informed by, organized around, and structured by shepherd teachers, which you know, the thing, the key about Ephesians chapter four is it's a body text. It's not a, historically we've interpreted that as a leadership text. So these are, these are gifts given to leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I would say it's not a leadership text. It's not a clergy text. It's actually a body text. These are gifts given to all the body to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, well, all the key to also about that passage is that when we have a fully fivefold functioning team or body, the church will reach maturity. It says that in the passage that without all five of those gifts being exercised or operating, uh, we won't reach maturity. It actually says we will not experience the fullness of Christ. So the key isn't to diminish the shepherd teacher, it's to raise the other three. So my point in the whole centralized decentralization piece and the way we understand our ecclesiology is for the most part in North America, the church has been informed by the shepherd teacher. And those two gifts are the communal gifts. Those two gifts are the gathering gifts. And, and they're vitally important. Again, we don't want to diminish them. But if we want to see the church become more decentralized, we're going to have to engage in those, the gifts of the apostle, prophet, evangelist that are much more generative. They're the pioneering kind of gifts. They're the gifts that are starting new things. So I think part of moving from a centralized where there's some programs and activities of the church we will still centralize, but there's others where we actually need to empower the people of God to engage in mission outside the walls of the church. And when yeah. we do that, we're going to have more small groups, missional communities, you know, micro churches operating in the city that aren't dependent on our Sunday morning gathering. No, and I think you're spot on. And that's what I was going to basically ask you. What does that look like? Because I do feel like what we do a lot of times when there's led by shepherd teachers, we, we preach on Sunday saying it's not about Sunday, but when we think about everything that we're doing, it's all about Sunday. We organize our staff around Sunday. We prepare for pulling off a great Sunday. Our children's ministry is around Sunday. Everything is around Sunday and is around kind of making sure that our people are cared for and making sure people are trained on Sunday. So what what are some practical ways and some practical things as you think about unleashing apes, right? As as, as we've been talking about, the apostles, prophets, evangelists. Like if I'm a shepherd teacher in in a church, well, give me some real specific ways to begin to empower them or to think about that as I think towards the future. Yeah, so man, there's a whole bunch of different things there. Maybe the best place for me to start is the conversation I usually have around APES with church planters. Because I really do think that, you know, when we plant churches, uh, we, we all are convinced we need to do it with teams. But I think sometimes for church planters, when we hear the, the phrase church planting team, we usually think of ministry categories. And most of the time, so what I mean by that is we think, oh, I need a team. I need a worship leader. I need a children's person. I need a youth person. I like what you just said, Dahadi. We, our, our teams are actually organized around, most of the time, around our Southern sun, Sunday gathering. So I say, no, look, when you think about teams, you may still eventually get to like ministry categories, but I want you to think about APES teams. So to do that, I would say, first off, you need to determine and identify how are you wired as relates to APES gifting. 
So there's a couple of different really good assessments out there. Just get an idea of uh, what are your leanings. And I would also talk to other people, uh, have other people, you know, give you input, but identify how are you wired? Secondly, then you need to ask, who are you missing on your team? So if you're a shepherd teacher, you better have an apostolic person on your team or you're never going to start something new. But if you're a very high apostolic prophetic person, uh, you better have some shepherds on your team or you're going to wear everybody out. So you need to identify who's missing on your team. And then the third is, you know, how are you going to identify those people and bring them onto the team? But the third then is how are you going to listen well to each other on the team? Because once again, that passage in Ephesians 4, the ultimate outcome is about maturity and fullness of Christ. So we need to make sure we're listening well to each other so we have a fully fivefold functioning team. Um, and then the last thing I would say is then how are we going to equip the saints? So in other words, I would create really a discipling process around APES and to say, if you're, if you're an evangelist, if, you know, if you're gifted in evangelism, then you need to equip other people to be evangelistic. If you're a teacher, then you need to be equipping others to be teachers. If you're apostolic, you need to teach others how to start things. So there's, there's, a, there's very much an equipping component in that passage as well. So, I love what you're saying. This is, this is really good. Like When you talk about this idea of decentralizing and giving us some five practical steps of what you talk to church planners of identifying who you are, um, find out who you're missing, right. learning how to listen well to one another, and then basically creating a discipleship model around that five-fold kind of responsibility. I love that. Let's let's move on to the next one, but let's switch it a little bit because the order, because I think this leads directly into Bible Kobo, because when you think about that, like there's no way in the world that I can, you know, especially in this climate, you know, hire five people, right? Or I can't hire four people. Or I can't have, you know, a church staff of that. I mean, we don't know, like you said at the very beginning, like all but one of our resources, you know, people's, the church's resources are going down, you know, they're not going up. So we're not going to be able to hire more people. How in the world can we bring out a staff or leaders or making sure that all these positions are represented? Yeah. Once again, I think there's several things here. First off, I think uh, in, in the church, this is a, a very early step, but I think in the church, we have to help people rethink vocation before we can even talk about bivocational and co-vocational ministry and mission. We need to help people rethink vocation. And what I mean by that is we need to help blow up the sacred-secular divide as it relates to vocation. So in other words, there's just too many people in our churches that think some callings are more important than other callings. Or they think that, that you know, if, if their calling is in the marketplace, they're not in full-time ministry. So I want to help people understand and recognize that regardless of what God's called them to do, they're in full-time ministry. Regardless of what God's called them to do in the marketplace, we need to help them see how does it contribute to and fit into the mission of God. So we need to, we need to kind of blow that up. And then, then we need to move, though, to the idea, especially in, in church planning circles, uh, to help them see there are great, great benefits of being bivocational and co-vocational. So and I'm, a, and I'm a big both-and guy. I'm not an either-or. It's never helpful, I think, to reduce something to an either-or proposition. We need to talk about both-and. But I think in this new normal, as we come out of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, we need to change what I would call the biased narrative around bivocational and bivocational church planting. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is there's just too many planters that are bivocational. They feel like second-class citizens. They feel like second-class like church planters. They feel like they're on the JV varsity. 
And part of that is that we don't talk enough about, I don't think, the high, and highlight the benefits of bivocational planting. And I just, I think there are enormous missiological benefits, but there are also enormous financial benefits to being bivocational and co-vocational. So once again, it's not an either or, it's a big time both and. But I think when we start to talk about all of those missiological and financial benefits, we'll actually have more and more bivo people wanting to be bivocational and they'll choose to be bivocational rather than seeing it that this is what I have to do out of necessity. So yeah, that, think, go ahead, Di. No, I, mean, I think that's a, that's a reality because I mean, even pre COVID-19, one of the realities that I've seen in North America and just really around the globe is the reality of, you know, the inability to understand that we cannot continue to plant churches in the way that we're planting churches in cities in these areas because of the cost of living is so right. outrageous, even pre, that it's not enough of just what you can get from the, the offerings and the tithes in order to do it. I mean, you take a church like New York and some of our churches in New York that are paying upwards to thirty and $40,000 a monthly rent, you know, in order to get a building that can hold two hundred. So just, right. just think about like the type of person that you would need to have. And if you can only have 200 to try to get just the rent paid of 30 to $40,000 for a thousand square feet, you know, or whatever the square footage is. I mean, so it's, it's really crazy. So we have to rethink about that. And like, I saw what I love what you're saying, both missiologically and financially, we got to begin to think through Bivo, Covo and kind of talk about that bias narrative. Right. And I think, you know, the reality is most guys aren't going to choose that in the current climate of pre-COVID-19. Uh, leaders just wouldn't choose that. Well, right now, there are a whole lot of church leaders that aren't going to have a choice. They're going to be forced into Bivocovo. And initially, it's, they're not going to like it. They're going to, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to fight against it. But ultimately, I think a lot of church planters and pastors are going to recognize the benefits. So even though it's going to be a really hard thing, it's going to be a challenge, I think there's just some great potential uh, benefits that they're going to recognize. And I think as a church planting network, as the SIN network, we need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared by all, today starting to change that narrative. So when a guy has to choose that, they don't feel like they're, they're taking, you know, it's a step down. But then also, I just want to help them see what those benefits. Uh, so they can flourish in that setting. But I, right. man, yeah. how, how would you like, man, this is so rich. If I'm, I'm listening as a pastor and a leader, how can they get connected with you or get some connected, some of your resources or what resources would you recommend them to dig deeper into this Bible Cobalt conversation? Well, one is we produced a, an ebook. It's a free downloadable ebook in both English and Spanish. That's just called co-vocational church planting. So if someone would, if you just Google co-vocational church planting, it'll take you to a landing page on the NAM website where you can download that for free. It's about a 270, 280 page uh, ebook that's just around co-vocational church planting. And then uh, earlier in the year, I wrote a little book called Rethink that's only about 100 pages, but it's a it, it's subtitled uh, Nine Paradigm Shifts for Activating the Church. It's a super simple kind of introduction on kind of nine paradigm shifts that I'm convinced that not just church planters, but leaders in existing congregations need to think about when it comes to activating all the people of God. So really when it, when there, there's not a lesson in there on decentralization, but all nine of the lessons relate to decentralization, even though I don't use that language in the, in this little ebook, 
uh, they're all paradigm shifts that I think will move us from being more centralized to being more of a, a, a decentralized church. So once That's again, this e if you just Google rethink ebook, it'll take you to a landing page. And that also is in English or Spanish. And what we'll do is we'll go a step further. We'll put it in the notes of this so that you can look at it right now and click on that link on how to get Brad's information. Um, so the last, we've got a, a couple more minutes, is just thinking through, you know, we talked about this idea of the building, right? If we're like, how are we going to repurpose our buildings? How would you get have leaders begin to think about repurposing their buildings? Yeah, so there'd be two things there. One, I would say, if you really do become somewhat of a decentralized network of smaller expressions of church out into the community, again, small groups, missional communities, micro churches, whatever language you use, I think we'll begin to repurpose our buildings to be a resource and to support those smaller expressions in the community. So we'll create, we'll have, we'll have resources in the building that are really about supporting the micro churches in the community. Rather than the small groups really supporting the Sunday gathering, the building or Sunday gathering will exist to support the small groups. But then the second thing is I think we'll have more and more churches when we come out of this crisis that we'll see that we need to begin to repurpose our buildings for the sake of finances. And I don't think we should be shy about this. I mean, I, I wouldn't do, I mean, I would want to create some business ventures using the building that would be a blessing to the community, but it could also provide other financial resources or really other financial streams for the church. Because I think moving forward, again, if it's, if it's not COVID-19, it's going to be something else in the future, but we are going to have to get to the point to where we don't operate just on tithes and offerings, that it's okay for the church to create other types of business ventures, other, other resource streams uh, to support the mission and ministry of the church. So I think there's a lot of opportunities as it relates to repurposing the building. If that means allowing other nonprofits to use our space, if it means creating co-working spaces, if it means to recreate, uh, uh, you know, uh, other kinds of business ventures where we actually use the space that we already own uh, as part of the church building. No, I think that's, that's great. I love this idea. And at Blueprint, one of the things that we talk about is like, how do we use our space to become a value add to the community? I love that. You know, and, you know, that is also generating um, some income for the building. Like if we can get our building to become budget neutral is a, is a tremendous win. So that means all of the, the tithes and the offerings that we have will go to explicitly, you know, God's mission. And so man, I love what, what you said. Again, I'm with Brad Briscoe, who is, who is our resident expert, our thinker, one of our thinkers when it comes to missiology and he's just helping us to think through, you know, what church pastors and leaders need to do. And as we think about the future of the church in light of the COVID-19, and there's a few things that he talked about. He talked about simplification, decentralization, repurposing our buildings and bivocational leadership, you know, is just really thinking through that. And he's given us some resources for us to, to look at that can help us both missiologically and financially as we kind of move in to really, you know, this, this new season, you know, and as I think as pastors and as leaders, this is really some insightful things and it's real helpful things. Brad, we're got to bring you, bring you back and, you know, talk about more of this, but this has been really helpful. Please check out the resources that Brad has given us. And these are just really helpful for us as we move into this next phase of COVID-19. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Dottie. You have been listening to We Are Sin Network a resource of the North American Mission Movement. For more information about today's podcast and other relevant resources, 
visit sendnetwork.com.